Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. What I want to talk about today is the importance of identity and manifestation. Okay, this is on this is going to be a healthy rant on manifestation and identity because we hear all the time about how important identity is when it comes to manifesting your desires, but we need to especially talk about it. It is important, especially when you hold a marginalized identity, when you are a person who has experienced systematic oppression Uh, interpersonal racism and oppression and then that gets internalized and that forms your identity which informs the reality that you create like that is true so let me just go back for a second in case you're like what identity what are we talking about manifestation huh (laughs) so this I mean my work is mostly geared to people who are at least somewhat familiar with like spiritual coaches or law of attraction or basic person the world of personal development right or even for people who are just getting into it i am on a mission to decolonize it and this comes after years of me participating in the version of personal development that very much um whitewash i was trying to think of a better word but really like whitewashes everything and um there's a lot of spiritual bypassing and toxic messages that happen. Um, I don't want to say toxic positivity because I feel like that has, that phrase has kind of taken on a life of its own and people like to spin it. And anyways, there's a lot of baggage attached to that. But let's go back for a second. So manifestation and identity. Identity is the key to manifesting, right? Receiving in physical form the life that you want to live the successful business, the house you want to live in, the partnership you want to attract, or partners that you want to attract, I don't know, whatever, um, you know, whatever it is that you're desiring, manifesting is the physical manifesting of that. And who you are, who you see yourself as, is key, absolutely, it's the key to creating those results, to actually yeah, actually manifesting successfully, right? So this is why so many manifestation teachers and law of attraction experts and coaches, success coaches, even what I learned in NLP, like I know a lot of you are certified in NLP, I am as well. I went through this whole mindset um, rewiring program on how to like help clients retrain their brains and all of this. Um, 
and that's good work and it's missing some things so a lot of the teachings that are out there will talk about the importance of for example if you want to be wealthy you need to stop seeing yourself as a person who is struggling or you need to stop saying things like um i don't have money right now or uh i you know i wish i was rich that's not for me that's for rich people and so if you're not associating yourself as a rich person you're going to keep attracting um certain level of poverty or struggle like right like that's the basic that's the basic premise and while there is truth there is truth to that and there is um major importance around having a positive mindset and um you know thinking of yourself yes as the as the ideal self that you're stepping into um Rachel Cargill um, wrote a post recently about how she's not going to call it her higher self or her future self because that doesn't feel attainable or like feels like far away and disconnected. She's going to call it her um, chosen self. And I love that. So thank you, Rachel. Everybody, let's adopt that, our chosen self. Um, So if your chosen self that you want to step into is wealthy, you need to start viewing yourself as a wealthy person, which for me starts with um how like feeling rich versus wealthy um so what are ways that your life is so rich with love or when the sunshine is hitting your skin like different there's so many different ways you can be rich and experience that but okay that was a very like general um a very generalized sorry siri thinks i'm talking to her (laughs) my phone no my watch stop it She's like, it's okay. I'm not talking to you. (laughs) Okay. So that was a very generic example. And so it doesn't leave space for the recognition that it is more difficult to see yourself in an identity of a wealthy person if you are a person of the global majority. So formerly called BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color, we make up more than 80% of the globe, so we're the global majority. And yet, if you're a black person or a an indigenous person like I am, it can be a lot more challenging to see yourself as a wealthy person if, you know, unless you have other levels of privilege that have allowed you to be surrounded by a lot of wealth or see a lot of wealth, like typically because we've been so systemically, institutionally, interpersonally, like oppressed in every single, every which way, it's a lot harder to imagine yourself as a wealthy person, especially when it's also in your bloodlines, it's also in your DNA, um, inter, like intergenerational trauma that a lot of us carry, and just never having that experience in our bloodlines and not seeing that represented on TV and magazines as move and movies, um, it's starting to very, very, very slowly change. But it's it's really, really still got a long way to go in terms of like us being more represented in the you know the upper class, the wealthier class. So that alone is something that gets completely ignored, completely glossed over. And yet, like these manifestation teachers, who, by the way, are 
usually white women and white men, they're not addressing and it needs to be addressed. So yes, your identity has everything to do with what will manifest in your life. But when your identity is wrapped up in oppression, when your identity is linked to being less safe than your white counterparts. So for example, being afraid to go into a hospital not knowing if you're actually going to be treated and get the help that you need or if you're going to be accused of just wanting drugs and be ignored or literally we have cases like I work in um, indigenous health research and I already knew a lot of these things and have had family members experience some of these things but there are literally cases that we study where um, patients are literally ignored to death or they are blamed um, and accused of you know, just being alcoholics or being there for drugs and they're not and they end up literally dying in the so-called health care system, which really cares for people differently based on identity. So when things like that happen constantly, and that's just one example, there's also police brutality, the police not protecting us. There's like statistically as an indigenous woman, I am 12 times more likely to be to go missing or be murdered and pretty much 100% more likely for the police to not care um, should they find out my identity and be like, oh, it's an indigenous woman that's missing. Oh, well, we've got, you know, we've got other people, other things to worry about. And so when you receive messages like that from the day you're born, of course, that's going to impact your sense of self-worth and how you identify Um, And I loved the way that Sharon Jameson put it when she was on my podcast. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Um, I forget the title of it, but I'll link it in the show notes. But just look for her name, Sharon Jameson. She explains her acronym for manifesting is WIN, W-I-N. And um, the W stands for worthiness. You have to believe you're worthy of it. And the I stands for um, identity. I think it stands for identity. Well, I'll have to go back and re-listen. I'm pretty sure it's identity. And then the N is normalizing it. It has to be normalized. And so when systemically entire groups of people that we belong to, it has not been normalized for us to experience wealth. And I'm just using wealth here because this is like the most common example. It's a very common thing. A lot of people want to manifest wealth. Of course, as we all should, we live in a, you know, world that requires cash (laughs) like wealth is an important resource and we we all are worthy of having an abundance of being well resourced that's all it is it's a resource and it's a um, an energy exchange it's a tool it's a good thing so we all no no shame if you want to manifest money is what i'm getting at but when entire groups of your people have been not only is it not normal for uh, to see people who who have your same identity when it comes to race or ethnicity, because race is just a social construct, but it is one that we have to kind of live according to because that's how us people decided to classify each other based on race, which refers to physical attributes and appearances, um, and then ethnicity, which is more your actual like DNA. But when entire groups of your people have, it's been normalized that um, you should struggle. It's been normalized that you have higher rates of death or suicide or illnesses. It's been normalized that you're the highest group that is homeless or 
in poverty like that's what's been normalized and that is what is not being dissected and addressed at all in the coaching and personal development industry because most of the coaches hold privileges that they aren't even aware of or don't even want to look at and so their identity and their ethnicity and their race is like just the default they're just in their mind they're just people it's just default and they don't have the lived experience of having to work through all of those extra layers of like breaking those cycles and and rising not only above actual more difficult circumstances like it being harder to get your foot in the door in in corporate settings in entrepreneurship in everywhere it being harder to get your foot in the door in a society that still lives by this hierarchical hi, hierarchical system that was made up by the colonizers who wanted who decided that what uh, since there's different races one therefore must be the superior race and that's us and that ideology um, is still in place there's four eyes of oppression right there's the ideological which is the overarching belief and idea that one race is superior emotionally, physically, intellectually, religiously, politically, like in all the ways they decided that they are the superior race and that's that. And then it drips into all of our institutions, got embedded into all of our institutions and is still active today. That's why I always say colonization is not a event in history. It's an ongoing process and it's baked into all of our institutions. So unless we are actively all working together to dismantle it, un- unbake it, right? Then it's still in place and it's still at play. So this means it's in our hospitals, it's in our education systems. That's why so many of you were shocked in Canada when we when we, I say we, guys, I mean people who aren't indigenous who didn't know um when we discovered the 215 children's bodies at the site of a former residential school um, that most people didn't even learn about in history class in school because the education system is also baked into this, you know, this institutionalized oppression, this ideology. They don't want um, the, the, the true history. They don't want the oppression um, the horrible things that were done to black and indigenous people here in North America, all across Turtle Island, they don't want that to be super highlighted. They want it to look like it's something just way in the past when it's not, and it's still ongoing. So we see this oppression in our education systems, in our schools, in the hospitals, in the police system, in the courts, the justice system, the legal system. It is insane how alive and well that that racism really still is and that oppression unless we actively fight against it to tear it down it's still going to be there it's not a matter of like being patient and trusting you know things take time and like nothing happens if we do nothing um so yeah so that's the second i in oppression the first is ideological the second is institutional the third is interpersonal oh interpersonal is when you know humans take on these beliefs whether it's consciously or unconsciously which is why you hear the term unconscious bias or implicit bias it's when you automatically make racist assumptions um or stereotype people or 
just see somebody as less than automatically with even though you're consciously you might be like no I'm against that I, I that's wrong that's racism but unconsciously because we've all been soaking in these messages from literally every angle like from every tv show every newspaper every news outlet every thing we learned in school everything we learned from our watching other people's interactions like it does get internalized which is the fourth eye in oppression but it gets internalized by us the the people that are being oppressed like indigenous people black people brown people people of color we start to see ourselves as less than or less worthy or less capable because that's what we've the message we've been sent from every single angle for all of time for our whole life and lifetimes before we even got here so it's also being carried through in our dna and our bones which is where that intergenerational trauma comes in and the ancestral trauma comes in um so it's a lot to work through and yeah and then obviously people who are non um people who are white also internalize these beliefs and ideology whether they're conscious of it or not um and that shows up in microaggressions which are actually really just aggressions and interpersonal relationships the way we engage with other people and we see a lot of problems happening in the coaching industry where we have a lot of we have a lot of work to do um and i I want to share my story of how I, as an indigenous person, internalized the oppression, internalized colonization and the messages of colonization and the messages that like white is the default and white is right. And I also have settler ancestry. I'm half white. I'm half um, indigenous. And um, I don't always... uh, no. Do I want to get into that conversation? Because <laughs> identity is everything. I, I I was listening to Trudy LeBron. Okay, let me just say this quickly. I was listening to Trudy LeBron and she is a, uh, she's doing some of this work in the coaching space, which is amazing. So she's a big inspiration of mine. And she is, her father is um, Afro-Latina or Afro-Latino and so she's um and then her mother's white i believe so she's half black and latina and then um settler ancestry as well but she's like i don't identify as white and i don't need to because when has my whiteness ever like my whiteness has never given me privilege my whiteness has never kept me safe my whiteness has never you know given the typical advantages that whiteness usually comes with so that's completely fair the reason that i like to share it um, is because I do present to the world as white and that has given me a lot of safety and a lot of protection and a lot of privilege, um, even influence too. When I speak about decolonization and when I speak about the things we're doing as coaches that are actually harmful and problematic, white women, and I've had a friend admit this to me who is a white woman, they are more likely to listen to me and they take it better hearing from me because I look like them and that's unconscious bias, right? That I'm trying to bring a light to because when we bring a light to our unconscious bias, we can unpack it and we can start to unlearn it. So anyway, that was a side tangent. I want to talk about how I internalized since I grew up in it like everyone else and then I grew up in the personal development industry, literally have been obsessed with personal development since I was a kid. Um, 
and very much like learned from you know the Tony Robbins and Jack Canfields and Gabby Bernstein and Marianne Williamson <laughs> notice a theme here right these are all white people and um, went and studied NLP um, with a white man and took a manifestation program with a white woman, Catherine Zinkina. She's amazing though. I love her. Um, she's a great example of somebody that's really doing this work. And honestly, I've worked with now. So I've been in the coaching industry for three plus years and I've been taking programs like Catherine's was one of the first ones that I took. I've been taking programs, mentorship containers, like one-on-one coaching courses, certifications, all the things, mostly from white women. Um, and honestly, because this is how internalized my uh, my own kind of colonization was, I didn't even realize, um, I mean, I did realize like, oh, there isn't really any indigenous people. Um, that would be cool if there was. Um, and I, I, I did, I guess I did notice. I did notice that there was very few um, women of color and indigenous people in this space, but I didn't even really realize how every single person I hired um, since I kind of first started investing in myself in personal development was white and all the books I was reading were mostly written by white people and I guess I kind of I kind of noticed but then I was kind of just like well that is the majority race here so I guess that's how it is like I don't know. And if I resonate it with it, then I resonate with it. And I um, honestly, in this world of coaching and personal development, I very much leaned away from my indigeneity and leaned into my whiteness. And this is for multiple reasons. So the first reason is that it was easier, safer. This is something I learned earlier in life as a coping mechanism when I did experience racism in high school. Actually, Let's be real. Racism started very young. I experienced it in middle school when our school went off reserve. Like I went to a school on the reserve. We went and visited with other schools or we did track meetups or um, sports meetups or whatever, dance meetups. And I witnessed a lot of racism from the other schools in the city, um, like overt racist remarks being yelled at us while we were there just for sporting events or to share our um, you know, some of our Mohawk dances with them, they started making fun of them. And it was very heartbreaking. And then in high school, going to the city, the high school in the nearby city with if people would find out my last name, Brant, they'd be like, Oh, you're from the res. And then you would get treated totally differently. And I literally had a friend introduce me to her dad as Oh, this is Emily, my native friend, but don't worry, she's a cool native. Meaning I'm not a native who quote unquote native, we don't use that word anymore, but I'm not um, someone who goes out and blocks the highways and bridges. And at that time, that was actually something that I was like, yeah, no, I'm really against that. I believe in peaceful, there's peaceful ways of of solving things. Because I grew up hearing in my family and people that I cared about saying that. And I just like internalized that and, and thought like, yeah, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want indigenous people being painted in this bad light as like we're disruptors and we're always in the media for something negative, like blocking a bridge or highway. But uh, that was my own ignorance, not understanding the importance of the issues and 
what these people actually were standing for, which is protecting our land, protecting our water, protecting our sovereignty, like standing up for our missing and murdered indigenous women. I actually am like really mad that I was quote unquote a cool native, if that's what a cool native is, somebody who just sits back and lets horrible things happen to Mother Earth and to our people. So anyway, experienced racism and learned pretty early on that it's just easier to act white because I can, which is a privilege because I appear white. And and so I didn't really reveal, I was very careful. Um, I had to really build trust with someone before I would tell them my identity or I would kind of like tell them and then really curiously look at them for how they're going to react because you never knew. And I was in many workplace settings where people even, people knew that I was indigenous and still chose to make very overtly racist comments in front of me. So anyway, it became easier to lean into my whiteness. And then in the personal development space, it also became easier because the methods that are taught are easier if you're a white person. And I I didn't, I wasn't thinking that consciously when I was doing it. But if I were to bring in like, wait, no, I have all this ancestral trauma to work through or wait, no, like this is not the norm on, you know, on the res, like people are struggling and um, yeah, financial struggle is more the norm. And um, I've actually experienced a lot of racism that I need to heal through. I was just like, no, everything's mindset and it's so true because I've had you know things where I think positively and I write in my vision journal and I have a vision board and it actually works and thinking positive thoughts does work and it's true like I said at the beginning of this episode there is a time and place for that there is value in that and guess what that is indigenous wisdom the whole all the things I was drawn to and learning about about positive having a good mind um and and having a good vision and um, having gratitude. Like I learned so much about the importance of a gratitude journal and being thankful and, um, you know, be thankful what you have. You end up having more. Um, Interestingly, like these are all things that come from indigenous ways of being. We in Mohawk culture and in in many um, First Nations cultures, if not all actually (laughs) indigenous cultures, in general, and I, I, I'm really careful to say like this is the indigenous view on this because I don't want to perpetuate um, like pan indigenous like the belief that all indigenous people are the exact same when we're such diverse people with diverse cultures and and um, teachings. But it really is true that like in general we do share common worldviews, and the number one thing is we're all about gratitude and respect and giving thanks for the land for all of creation for all that we have and for being like really in tune with spirit with our spirituality we believe if there's a physical problem the first thing we do is like what's the emotional or spiritual root cause and so all of this which is like now being called new age quote unquote right it's actually coming from indigenous wisdom so it's funny that I was drawn to like this whitewashed version of it when it's really been in my it's been in my ancestral um knowledge and in my bones the whole time and also I grew up learning a lot of these concepts from the bits of culture that I am grateful to have received quite a bit actually through like through the school because I went to school on the reserve um so 
So even though I did grow up with some learning some of the teachings and the language and little bits of our culture, whatever I could at the school, and of course you don't really appreciate it as much when you're a kid, um, I didn't have those teachings in my home. I didn't go to a longhouse or anything like that. And so much of our culture in general has been lost because of the Indian Act, because it was literally banned and outlawed. And my grandparents and their parents were literally forbidden to to practice ceremonies, to dance, to um, to gather and, and do our prayers to Creator. Like the things that would have been passed on to me weren't. And so like many of us, all of us here in so-called Canada, I... I was assimilated, right? That I was the success of the Sir John A's vision, right? The colonizer's vision is like, you're going to lose that culture and you're just going to blend in and act Canadian, whatever that means. Like, it worked. And I was very much, <clears throat> pretty much acting just like a Canadian girl who also happened to be from a First Nations reserve but the way I functioned uh, as a young adult in my day-to-day was just very kind of like the lived experience of a white person until some racist comment happened and or some some horrible things to indigenous people were having happening on the news and then I would feel this like deep rage and this trauma surface in my body and um, or until I had a, a racist interaction with someone because they found out my identity things like that but for the most part, I was like, yeah, I can I can relate to these manifestation books and these teachers because I didn't really let myself look at my indigenous part of me. I was like, that's, you know, I'm only half. I don't know. Like, I didn't grow up with all the culture and stuff. I'm not like, quote unquote, visibly indigenous. So like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't realize how much was there. Okay. So not realizing how much was there. Of course, it's easier to be like, yeah, I can create any identity I want and just, you know, kind of I ignored this whole part of my actual identity, my actual self, like literally half of my bloodline, half of my ancestry, right? And doing that and just focusing on positive thoughts and focusing on visions and dreams and creating what I want to create and kind of buying into the capitalistic side of it too, of the coaching world, where you get very caught up in like, making those first big sales and getting those 5k months and doing the next thing and joining the next program and it comes very becomes very capitalistic and less and less about community and service and true healing and transformation which is what we all I think were drawn to in the first place Uh, but then capitalism of course influences us all because we've also been swimming in that culture for our entire lives right so Anyway, basically it served me to, I was safer in these spaces, it was easier, it was more comfortable, I could fit in, uh, which is again a privilege, like unlike a person of color, quote unquote, um, who, a a person, a more melanated person, let's say, because I don't like saying people of color, um, melanated person joining a program such as the ones that I would take part in they would be like, whoa, I am so uncomfortable here because nobody else looks like me. Nobody else is going to understand what I'm going through and possibly they're going to say something hurtful, offensive, or yeah, harmful. And they likely will. So (laughs) until we do the work to unlearn all of these things we've been taught. 
so anyway, that was, that was just my experience and it served me until it didn't because identity work and manifestation work will only take you so far when you are ignoring whole parts of your being, when you are ignoring the nuance that come with having internalized oppression, having internalized racism, um, having ancestral trauma. So how did I start to unpack this when I was operating in a world that very much ignores it, does not address it at all, and tells you to just write down who you want to be and just show up as that person, ignoring the fact that we've been told messages our entire lives, some of us, that we can't, and that's not for us, and we carry so much pain in in our bones, like none of that's covered, right? So how I came to doing this healing work is really spirit. Spirit guided me. I had a reading done, um, and the message for me was that there's still some self-worth. Every reading, I'd be like, what's the key to my next level in business? When am I going to make more money? What's How do I unlock my next level? And I'm very much like ambitious, very much a go-getter, can get very impatient sometimes. And the message I got from Spirit through this one reading that I did was like, oh, there's still some work to do on your self-worth. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? All I've done is work on my self-worth. Like I've taken all the self-love courses. I've, I'm a like self-worth coach. I'm an empowerment coach. I know that I'm worthy. I know I am. I just am not receiving the things yet. It's not matching up. And Spirit was like, no, it's like really related to your indigenous ancestry. And there's a lot of ancestral healing to do there. And and just your identity in general and not feeling indigenous enough, but not feeling white enough. And that whole complexity of being mixed race, like that's, there's a lot there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, because prior to that moment, I had not let myself go there because I didn't think that I was even indigenous enough. I had got so caught up in living the lived experience of a white woman that I didn't really, I mean, I knew I was indigenous on paper and I know, of course, my dad's fully Mohawk and we are from a reserve and everything, but I still was like, I don't think I'm indigenous enough to have to work through like the pain and the trauma and the racism, even though I had experienced it all. Um, I'd also experienced a lot of the white woman experience. So it just gives you an example. I know if you're listening in your mixed ancestry, you're probably like nodding so hard right now and being like, oh my gosh, yes, this is my experience. Um, I get that message a lot from people being like, holy crap, I feel seen because no one's talking about these nuances. These are the conversations we have to be having in the personal development space. So anyways, once I let myself go there, um, which I just started doing on my own because there wasn't any spaces that were like, hey, are you mixed ancestry and, you know, part indigenous or even like women of color? There's some women of color spaces, quote unquote, right? Their words. And I didn't feel like that was for me because I appear as white and present as white. Um, so I didn't feel like I w- would be accepted into those spaces, even though I probably would if I explained like I'm indigenous, we have some similar um, pain that we've been through. I didn't see any indigenous people in the personal development industry um, until quite recently when I found Asha Frost, who you all know I keep talking about her because 
when you find like the one person you can relate to and connect to, you you cling to that. And also she's amazing. But I just started doing the work on my own between me and spirit, me and my ancestors. I started like sitting and meditating and being like, okay, all right, ancestors, what's here? And I was shown so many things and ooh, there is a lot there. <laughs> like, like you all know, if you know anything about um, Canadian American history of indigenous people and how our children were stolen and forced to go to residential schools. Not, I'm not even talking about like centuries ago. I'm talking two generations ago, one generation ago, the last residential school closed in the nineties, 1996. So could have been me. I was five years old. Um, they just didn't happen to come to my reservation. And so Lots of trauma from that came up. I literally sat and with my ancestors who were children when they died and I've like cried and felt their pain, but also I felt their strength and I felt them being like, yes, finally you're connecting with us. We've been waiting for you to connect with us and also like do this healing work, but also go live your best life and have the success that we didn't get a chance to do because they were... They were killed as children, literally. <sighs> so I just want to say, I know that this can be really triggering and um, tender to listen to, depending on, yeah, the, depending on a lot of things. The place you might be in, the ancestral trauma you might have. So if you need to take a break, please do take care of yourself, protect your heart, um, protect your peace. But there was so much there. And so I just started it on my own. And I cried a lot of tears and I did a lot of meditating and just coming back home to my roots, to my ancestors, and not just my indigenous ancestors, but my European ancestors as well. I connect with them both um, on both sides every single day now. And that's what I help other people do because this, this is when everything changed. This is when manifestations started becoming easy. And I was like, what? I'm just like, what the actual heck? Why is no one talking about this? Because manifestation could have been easy the whole time. If I would would have been told how to connect with my ancestors and do this deeper healing and address and acknowledge the, the racial pain and oppression instead of glossing over it and bypassing it like I was taught and like I was teaching others to do because I was just regurgitating like the Gabby Bernstein books I was reading and the Law of Attraction stuff and the mentors I was working with. So I feel awful that I was teaching this stuff and I was upholding these toxic messages really um, that don't help people and in fact can harm people and even in my book like I literally unpublished my book Whole Damn Fire because there's so much spiritual bypassing in it that really actually honestly shortly after I published it I read it back and I was like oof, this is not my authentic voice it's not and that was really, I still get kind of like embarrassed by that and feel ashamed of that. But I also feel like that's just what happens when you're an author. That's why people publish more than one book. Um, so even like some of my favorite authors will say that they, you know, they'll like quote their earlier books and laugh. So that gives me hope. Anyway, I... Yeah, I look at that book and I'm like, oof, oof, that was, I was so under the influence of that person and that came from that thing and that's, ooh, that's internalized colonization. 
that's harmful. So I actually unpublished it because I don't want to perpetuate any more of this harm. Like I was saying things like don't identify with your 3D identity because we're all limitless souls. <laughs> like, although I think that's true on some level, we live here on the 3D plane and we are here to have the human experience. And yeah, I'm very spiritual. I'm very in tune with my soul. I'm very in tune with spirit guides, ancestors, all of that. And I'm a human and humanness is hard regardless of your identity. Um, and acting like those problems don't exist in the name of quote unquote ascension is just no, no, no. So I apologize formal, formerly, no, formally, words are hard for me today. <laughs> I apologize for the messages that I perpetuated in that book. I'm like really embarrassed of it. I cringe at it. I talk about that all the time, how I cringe now at that book. And I will be writing a more authentic one at some point. So that's all we can do is um, if you're listening to this and you are a coach and you are a leader in this space and you're like, oof, yeah, I've been perpetuating those messages too and regurgitating those messages too. <clears throat> we all have been because that's what we were taught and that's what our whole entire society has been taught and built on from day one so of course it's going to show up in every industry and that includes the coaching industry unless we actively unlearn it which is the journey that I have been on personally and now I take others on the journey with me um, like here at the in this podcast in my coaching programs that are specifically just for those of us in the global majority with marginalized identities. Um, and then I also work with white leaders and coaches who want, who realize there is a problem and want to be uh, part of the solution. They want to be decolonized leaders who know how to hold space for these nuanced conversations for, um, for different lived experiences, for unpacking their own privilege and how that plays a role in manifestation and success. And I just, I love and appreciate you so much if that's you. Um, anyone who wants to decolonize their leading, their leadership or business practice because it is uncomfortable work but it is so necessary and it, it really is the future of this industry. People are getting more emotionally intelligent and people are getting more compassionate and even people who are not um, global majority, they are demanding leaders who value humanity, who are have integrity, who care about dismantling toxic systems and not upholding them. So it really is the future of this industry and I'm excited to also be on this journey of unlearning, relearning. Um, and yeah, once I realized that there was so much more around my identity to address and, and unpack, the spaces I was in were not able to hold that with me and for me. We're not able, like the coaching just fell totally flat. Um, and I didn't feel safe and comfortable. And that's the experience of so many people. So we need to fix that. We need to fix it. We have a lot of work to do and I have a lot of um, things to help you uh, get started. Um, yeah, because I can speak from experience, <laughs> my own experiences as an indigenous woman where it was like safer being in my whiteness and when it wasn't safe not being in my whiteness uh, and just all the, yeah, all the unlearning and stuff that I'm doing, I'm, I'm sharing it with you. So 
that's why we're here. Thank you so much for listening. Um, this was a long episode. So yeah, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know your thoughts. I'm always so curious to hear. And um, if you want to get started decolonizing your business, I have a free guide. It's completely free. Um, it's a mini ebook that I'm really, really proud of. It goes clearly through the ways that colonialism shows up in the coaching industry, in the personal development industry, um, and how you can start to unpack your own discomfort and areas that you're committed to doing better in. So that's the perfect place to start. And then I also have a masterclass you can take. It's only $88 and it's two hours of your time. So worth it to completely transform the way you lead and hold space for others. And if you're listening and you're in the global majority and you want a safe space to talk about this stuff and heal from this stuff um, while working on yourself, while manifesting your best life and not bypassing these things, that's what my program Emboldened You is for. It's a small group program. There's limited spots. It's kind of structured like a mastermind, but it's priced like a course. And it's running from February 15th um, until the end of May, February, March, April, May. Yeah, the end of May. So um, if you're listening, message me ASAP to see if there is still spots um, or apply at the link down below if you are listening to this in time, because once it's full and once it starts, that's it. Um, And we're in there for four months and it won't be back until the fall of 2023. So I hope um, you'll join us if that feels aligned. And thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you again so, so much for listening. If you would like to thank me in return, if you got any value, insights, new perspectives, or you just appreciated this episode or enjoyed this episode, the best way to thank a podcaster is to share with others spread the love spread the magic take a screenshot of the episode share it on your instagram or tiktok stories and tag me at emily ann brandt so i can personally thank you for tuning in and stay connected this is truly a community that we are building here and i love staying in connection with you i look forward to talking to you again soon and i'm sending you so much love and gratitude